With that, turn your Bibles tonight to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, pick up in verse 10, finish up chapter 1 tonight, and a study called Let's Go. You know, so very often the church, I think, is hampered by what has been historically defined as church governance or church government. And this is not to pick on any one denomination. It's not to throw stones at any particular type of church government. Um, But one of the wonderful things uh, about us as Calvary Chapel is that we have a very... Um, I think, biblically solid form of government that allows leaders to lead. Uh, very often the church is led by committees and groups of people and sometimes boards that uh, don't even exist uh, in the state in which they're governing some church. And so tonight uh, we find some principles for leadership found here uh, in this first chapter as we pick up in verse 10. Because Joshua is going to now take what God has spoken to him, and he is going to speak it to the people. And it is infinitely important, and as we go through this evening, you'll see why, that we understand uh, the basic frailty of human decision-making. It's human. And because it's human... It varies with humans. And if you put 10 people in a room together, you'll probably get 15 to 20 different ideas about any one thing. And not that any of them will necessarily be bad, not that any of them will be substantially that much better than others, but ruling by committee does not work in church. Uh, if, if we were to throw out a poll tonight of what color everybody wants this sanctuary, I guarantee you it would result in a church split. Because you'd have the blue people over here and the green people over here, and after a while, uh, it just becomes intolerable. And so tonight, let's go. Leader, leaders who hear from the Lord need to lead. And that doesn't mean they're infallible. doesn't mean that everything should be followed blindly off a cliff. It simply means that if God's called, God is the one who's responsible for the decisions, and ultimately that person will stand before God and give an account for the things that they have believed God's called them to do. It's a great way to see the church move forward in a very rapid fashion without getting bogged down by 800,000 committees. And so tonight, let's go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, and God, pray that you would, as as our leader, Lord, you're our commander-in-chief, uh, that you deliver from heaven the directives of your word. God, that they would just come to us as truth and as life. Pray that we'd receive them with gladness and put them in our hearts where we can store them up for use at a later date. Lord, bless us as your people. Anoint us to your plans and purposes for this time as we gather together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 10, And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Notice that he immediately, uh, just like Moses before him, uh, did not grab all of the leaders and assemble them together and, and start to take polls. 
or fill out request forms or try and network a solution. God had spoken to Joshua. And this is the difference between the church and corporate America. Corporate America, very often you're answering to a board of directors that answers to shareholders. In this case, those are one and the same. The board of directors is the Lord God in heaven, and the shareholders are are his. And so when he speaks, we listen, we move. And so he says, pass through the camp and command the people. And notice that word twice. He says, and command the people, saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. He he treats it as it is. And it is so important to see. Uh, One thing that you don't want to do in ministry is to be ahead of the Lord. But a second and equally dangerous thing to do is to be behind the Lord. When God has spoken, we are to move. It's time to go. Those windows of opportunity very often are narrow. They don't stay open forever. Uh, When there's a a place that we might go and minister, if there's something that God would request of us to do, if there's an open door in a specific community to do something in a very unique way and God speaks those things, we need to get busy and do it. Uh, And the planning part of it, as we'll see in a bit, is subsequent to the obedience to go. We need to do what God says and let him sort out the details. Now, does this mean that we don't plan? Heavens, no. It doesn't mean that we don't plan. But it means that we follow in obedience before we try and figure out all the little subtle parts. Because a lot of people simply get hung out and hung up trying to follow uh, along some plan that's concocted by man that consists of all kinds of parts that may or may not be the Lord. We need to be obedient first. And so, he goes on to say, And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, and if you go to the book of Numbers, you're going to find out that Moses had made a provision for two and a half tribes of the children of Israel to actually live outside of the promised land. And so they would stay outside of what is defined biblically as the borders. Uh, They would have been in modern-day Jordan for the most part. Uh, They would have been on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. And so he's speaking to them rather in a separate way. And so he says to them, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in a land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. Are they in the promised land yet? So obviously he's talking about another side of the Jordan River that's not the promised land. And so he's saying, look, Moses made that commitment. God doesn't change his mind is the picture here. God had spoken through Moses. He said, this is where you're going to remain, even though it's outside of the territory known as the promised land, Canaan. This is where you shall remain. Why? Because you're going to be as blessed here as the people going in will be, because this is a specific calling, and it shows you a picture of how God can call a specific group to a specific thing, to a specific place, to a specific work, even though it may seem to the rest of the people like, hey, how come you're not going with us? 
He says, stay there. This side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest. He says, just because you're staying here doesn't mean you're not in the fight. And it's a picture of how the church functions. God's called us uniquely to places. And if you look at the New Testament example, most often when you see in the New Testament, you see people called to a specific geographic area. You have the church at Ephesus and the church at Corinth. You have, you have the church at, in Galatia. You, you can see how God was ministering to these groups of people where they were. They had specific social issues they were dealing with. They had specific provisional issues they were dealing with. God is calling them. They even had specific problems that were more prevalent in their culture, like with the church at Corinth. And so you can see how God is now moving in a very wonderful way to, to keep all of these things together. And that's something that we often forget. You know, sometimes we think the whole world needs to look like us. Uh, the whole world doesn't need to look like us. Doesn't need to act like us. Doesn't need to do church like us. And in fact, there's an awful lot of wonderful people who love the Lord who just happen to also love organ music. Me, personally, not so much. Every once in a while, I enjoy a good funeral dirge, too. But it's it's... To me, I, I just can't quite get there from here. You know, it's, it's just not some way that I minister to. But I know people who are. And they love organ music. My dad's one of them. You stick an organ in front of him, he's just like, oh. Stick an organ in front of me, and I'm trying to figure out why it takes up so much space. We don't all have to be the same. Until the Lord your God has given your brethren rest. In other words, the ones that are going in, they're going to battle. You're going to, you're going to fight with them alongside of them. And then they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Notice there's two different pieces of land. There's two different sets of criteria, though they are both authored by the same God, and they are both promised by the same God. And so the Lord is saying, look, You're going to stay here. They're going to go there. You help them. Do you see the unity of the body of Christ? Do you see the unity in the early church? Do you see the unity in the children of Israel? Remember, they are a type of us, and we are from them. And so there are pictures in them that are us. And so as the body of Christ helps one another, as the families of God help each other, there's a common goal. Notice what it is. To possess that which the Lord had given them. And so he says, and then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it. In other words, if you're not obedient, if you're not going to do your part, if you won't go and help and be part of this kingdom thing, you're not going to enjoy what I've given you. That's why the body of Christ doesn't function well as a whole bunch of disconnected parts. We need each other. We, we need each other individually as this church, this church with other churches, other churches with the universal church, all believers throughout the world. We need each other. We are far more powerful with each other than without. And that's why we, we need to be very careful about how uh, exclusive we are. There are certain 
things that we do that are unique, but there is a common goal that is absolutely specific for all of us. There's only one great commission, amen? Is there two great commissions? There's one great commission. Go into all the world to make disciples, amen, of all nations. How many kings of kings and lords of lords are there? Your Bible says one. There is one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, and one Lord over all. So you can see there's a, there's a great and deep sense of unification that ought to happen in the church. There was in the nation Israel. And, and it should be that that common goal is then reached in the uniquenesses that we each possess. And so as we see this unfold for us tonight, he says, then you'll enjoy it. That's the land which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Where does the sun come up? It comes up in the east, amen? Comes up in the east, guess what? All over the whole world. Earth only rotates one direction. So they're on the eastern side of the Jordan. The western side of the Jordan is the promised land. But they're going to be blessed even on the eastern side as they're obedient to the things God's called them to do. What we find here in our passage tonight is that God blesses obedience to his word. And he blesses that encouragement that you can kind of see here to to pass along these wonderful truths to those underneath you. And so one of the real strong points that I believe Calvary Chapel has is just simply an attention to what does the word of God say? How is it rightly interpreted? And then let's go do it. It's not open to that much debate when it gets to the point of of the word. And so Moses was speaking for God. So what's he really saying? He's really saying this is the word. Uh, And I want to show you the opposite here. In Numbers chapter 13, a story that's familiar to you, you know it. Moses and the gang reach Kadesh Barnea. Okay, They're on the eastern side of the Jordan. And they are supposed to then send spies in to spy out the land. You know the story. How many spies are there? There are 12. Okay, so the majority goes into the land. The committee goes into the land. The larger group, the majority, goes into the land. Amen? And they come back, Oh, no. We can't go in there. There's giants. Big ones. They throw a little meeting down. Do you remember who the two guys were that abstained from the boat? Joshua and Caleb. Do you remember what they said? Let's go and possess it. What happened? Will of the majority. Will of the majority. Do you remember the result? Forty years in the wilderness. So majority is not always right. Matter of fact, very often, 
the majority is wrong. Let me prove that one to you. Look at all the junk that's going on in our world that's passed off as Christianity. Well, you know, we think the church should be more accepting. Not of sin. Show me that verse in your Bible. Not of direct disobedience to the Word of God. Show me where it says that. But you know what the minority position is? Those of us who actually believe that this says what it says, teach what it says, and actually want to do what it says. That's the minority view. Can I tell you? We're right. Irregardless of what the majority says. Because God spoke it. I didn't speak it. I didn't write this. didn't come from me. And neither did it come from anybody else who rightly divides the word of truth, as we're supposed to do as pastors. We're just simply supposed to repeat the command. Amen? Do you see the corollary here, the parallel? you get it? You, you, you see, God left us a set of instructions. We're supposed to go. We're not supposed to throw down a committee and go, well, you know, I don't know. Okay, you put together a spreadsheet on the number of giants in the land. You put together one on how much food's available to us. We need an armory report. Do you see any of that here? It didn't happen. God had promised them the land, and he had told them to go. And because they would not do what he said, they wandered in the wilderness. That's how they got there. That's what happened. And so Joshua, just like Moses, doesn't assemble a whole group of people and ask them for their advice. He simply says, look, thus says the Lord, let's go do it. Now, in saying that, am I telling you that any pastor, any leader should have carte blanche? No. Am I telling you that any pastor is infallible? No. Am I telling you that everything that any pastor, including me, ever says is going to be absolutely accurate, 100%? No. Going to do our best. I'm going to do my best. But what I am saying is we can get so hung up on debating the small things, like how many giants there are, or whether the grapes are large or small, or whether we think we have enough resources to accomplish those things, that by the time you put it to a committee, the committee's going to come up with, no, God's not in it. When God could very well be in it, and he's simply asking us to trust him in faith and be obedient to go. So be careful. Because there's a lot of sheep shifting. It's like a shape shifter except sheep. There's a lot of sheep shifting in the body of Christ. That's when sheep look at the pasture they're in and they go, eh, I don't like it here. <laughs> because the walls are the wrong color or the air conditioning's too high or too low or, you know, the, the pastor decided that they're going to move a study time, the mother of all sins. not important stuff. What's important is that you're walking with the Lord in truth. That you are doing what Scripture says, that you're being obedient to the things that God's spoken. And God had spoken in this case. His direction, His will, absolutely clear. 
doesn't mean that advice wasn't warranted. It doesn't even mean that they didn't give advice. But they also didn't buck the order. They said, you know what, we'll go. The committee rule thing uh, just simply did not work. And so here in our passage, we really find the results that had they listened to Joshua and Caleb, the minority report, they would have spared themselves all those 40 years. You see the picture? Had they just said, you know, God called them, God sent them, God spoke to them, I'm okay with that because God's more than capable of holding them accountable. God's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Amen? Big difference in how you view leadership. And frankly, of course, there is a place for godly counsel. But a committee report is not a substitute for simply obeying what God has said and then doing some really, really good planning. And we can kind of see that in our passage. You know, if you were really sitting there, and you have to remember, and I I want to be careful here because I don't want to extrapolate this out too far, the Jordan at certain times of the year, you can just simply walk across. You know, if we were talking about the Mississippi, whole different logistical thing, amen? But at that day and time, the Jordan River was a formidable river. The water wasn't being sucked out to irrigate all of the farmland. There was a whole bunch more water flowing in the entire length of the Jordan all the way to the Dead Sea than there is today. And so when they got to the Jordan, it was a pretty good-sized body of water, especially if you didn't have inflatable pontoon bridges, especially if you didn't have you know, amphibious landing craft, especially when you got there that everything that you were carrying weighed tons and you didn't have the ability to float it across the river, it was still requiring a miraculous intervention of the Lord. Notice that doesn't stop someone who's listening to God. Was it hard? Yes. But from God's perspective, it also wasn't impossible. And we need to make sure that we know the difference between those two positions. Because with God, nothing is impossible. With us, it's likely to be hard. But with God, it's still not impossible. And so when you look at this, uh, Josh was not trying to simply second-guess God and work things out for himself. Very often I get asked the question, you know, how do you know if this is God's will? One of the great ways to try and help discern God's will behind the, the four that we normally have, which is, did you pray? Did you seek God's word? Have you sought the counsel of others? And has the Holy Spirit spoken into your life in confirmation of those things? Is to give God something that you yourself can't do. Because if you know you can't do it and it gets done, you can be pretty sure that there's someone besides you behind it. Amen? So this was one of those cases. They didn't take probably all of them are sitting there watching the you know the two and a half tribes who get to stay where they are going. Well, I don't really want to go fight. Do you want to go? No, I don't want to go fight. Do you want to fight? No, I don't want to fight. Well, look, these guys have been here a while. I mean, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. These guys, I mean, they got cows. Sometimes it's easy to look at the people who are 
sitting behind the line, so to speak, and go, have a little bit of envy. They're not working very hard. They don't seem to ever be. You have friends in your life, they never get attacked. Nothing going on in their life to where you talk to them, just like every day, nothing ever goes wrong in their entire life. You got friends? I have a couple of friends. You're just like, what? And then you look at their life, it's because they're doing nothing for the Lord. Yeah, they're rich. Yes, they got big houses, lots of cars, tons of money. But they're also not doing anything for the kingdom. So why would the enemy attack them? That's why Joshua here says, hey, you guys need to join in the battle. Because your human tendency to be to stay right here, right where you're comfortable. You're already planted. You already have houses. You've been here for a while. You need to get in the fight. Notice how each family was preparing their own food. There was actually preparation that's going on. And if you also remember, it's at this time. Actually, they're still being fed miraculously in the wilderness by manna. This is still the continuation of Exodus chapter 16. They're still going out there and picking it up every day. And it wasn't going to stop, according to your Bible. We'll get at that in Joshua chapter 5. Until they possessed the promised land. So God had that under control. Isn't it strange how we can have God take such good care of us and all of a sudden start doubting whether he's going to do it anymore or not? Isn't that weird? Maybe it doesn't happen to you. It does happen to me. Every once in a while, you just, I just get these, you know, these wild thoughts will dart right into my world. You, know, you can't do that. I know I'm the only one that ever struggles with a lapse of faith in this room, but every once in a while, you know, you, you just, you're sitting there and you're thinking and, you know, God's been blessing and He's done all the things He's going to do and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no. When He's been faithful for years and years and years and years and all of a sudden you're like, oh. I think that's where these guys were. And it's very unfortunate. We shouldn't be that way. But sometimes, sometimes we actually are. And I, and I would just remind you that when you look at this, this whole concept, notice what's said here. The preparation was after Joshua had given the order to do exactly what he had heard from the Lord. Amen? Exactly what he had heard from the Lord, the people began to do and they planned from that point forward. That's very different than, well, we'll just sit around and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan. And then we're going to plan some more. Then we'll have another planning meeting to see if we have more planners that want to plan with us because you'll never get anything done for the kingdom. You've seen, if you've been here for a while, you, you know how quickly our, our group Calvary Relief heads out to, to things that happen in the world. Amen? It's usually us and Samaritan's Purse are the first people there ahead of the bulk of the rescue teams and the United States military. We're usually on the ground before they get there. Why? Because we don't have a vote. We don't have a committee. We already have a ministry set up. Somebody gets a phone call. There's a hurricane in Haiti. We need to go. So we go. 
The planning is done once we get there. It's like, here's what needs to happen. So let's do it. It's a very different position than the world's position is. Well, we'll sit around for about two or three years and we're going to, I love the word, strategize. We're going to strategize and we're going to network. Now, let me tell you, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with good planning. We need that. But if it's a substitute from hearing from the Lord, you're never going to do anything for the kingdom. Because I can tell you this, no missions trip makes sense. Can I just tell you that? No missions trip makes sense. Austin just came back from New York. Does anybody know what color Austin is? Austin is white. He's really white because we're white. We're like kind of Norwegian, German, Irish. We're, we're like, so where does God send him? The Bowery of New York. We were just talking to him at dinner. 100% people who are, are African American by heritage is who he's ministering to. It makes no sense. You would think, well, we'll get some church that's primarily African American because they understand African American culture. You see how it works? And we'll get them to go because that makes sense. And yet what doesn't make sense is you take a bunch of guys from Calvary Chapel Bible College and some girls from Calvary Chapel Bible and you send them to the Bowery of New York. It doesn't make any sense. You send a bunch of people who don't speak Spanish to Mexico. It doesn't make sense. You send a bunch of people who I don't speak Hungarian. I'm like the co-leader of our team to go to Hungary to, to look at a I don't speak Hungarian. You know what happens when you do that? you got to trust the Lord. doesn't mean that you don't plan, but there's a lot of things in the kingdom that don't make any sense. Jesus Christ died for your sins. That don't make any sense in the human level, does it? doesn't for me, and not at a human level. That the sinless Lamb of God would be nailed to Calvary's cross to provide the remission of my sins? That makes no sense to me. There's a lot of things that humanly we can't wrap our heads around. Amen? You've got to trust God. Step out in faith occasionally. Notice how these words of encouragement to his leaders are put forth. You shall pass over. There, there's no hint of guesswork here. There's no hint of backing off or backing down. Well, you know, I think we can possess the land. Does he say that? No. If, if everything's in our favor and, and, you know, if we have all the breaks go our way and if, you know, we just have enough reinforcements from behind the line and if, and if, you know, we just get more people to really get behind our movement, we can possess the land. Doesn't say that, does it? God made a promise. He says, you shall possess the land. If I make a promise to you, it's up to you to receive the promise. Amen? If I tell you when you leave tonight, there's a basket full of $100 bills down at the bottom of the stairs. You just need to stop by and grab one. It's not my fault if you don't grab a $100 bill, okay? By the way, stone cold lie. 
No basket, $100. But you get the picture. It's up to you to go grab one. I've made the promise, the basket's there, the hundreds are in it. You've got to do your part, which is to be obedient to go pick up the promise. You will pass over. That river's nothing. Yeah, it's flowing as fast as it's ever flowed. It's deeper than a man's height. Yes, that's true. You know how he got to this place? You remember a little thing called the Red Sea? Slightly larger than the Jordan River. They had trusted God before, and God had always shown himself faithful. That's why it's so important that we mark the, the faithfulness of God in our lives. Remember those promises that he's made and he's kept. Because when you get to your Jordan River, then you can have this type of confidence. Look, God's been faithful. He parted the Red Sea. The Jordan's no big deal. Or based on his word. Notice it says the Lord will give you. These positive affirmations of faith were all based on the promises of God's word. God said it. I believe it. Let's go. It's unfortunate sometimes that ministry is held up, can't move forward until it conducts a few funerals. And I don't mean actual funerals. But what I do mean is sometimes, just like in the case of the great prophet Isaiah, it was in the year, Isaiah 6 says, that the great king Uzziah died, that Isaiah saw the Lord lifted up. It wasn't until a great man passed away that a great prophet reached that place to where he said, Look, the torch has been passed. There's got to be vision. We need to move on. And very often the, the status quo thing the never-change-anything thing, or as I like to call them, sanctified obstructionists. You know, it's just like, well, you know, we've always done it this way, and this is the way we're always going to do it, and we're going to stay right here, and no matter what happens, we're going to get out that Elvis hymn album, we're going to sing along. I like Elvis hymns. But you know what? God calls new leaders into new positions of leadership, and it's important that we don't get stuck in the past. Just because that's the way it got done before doesn't mean it has to get done that way right now. God's a God of new things, amen? What are you in Christ? New creation, amen? Old things are? All things are becoming? See, you guys know your Bibles. That's the truth, isn't it? If that's the truth... What in that do you see as old and moldy? Crummy and crusty. I'm not talking about people, by the way. Nothing. All things are becoming new. We should be excited about the new things that God's doing. And when we stop living by faith, we stop being holy risk takers. It's that simple. We're all about preserving then. Worried about hanging on. 
And again, don't mistake what I'm saying here. This is not to be flippant and frivolous. And it's certainly not to be ignorant and and dull of hearing. It's not to pass off every bit of counsel as though it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, sometimes the very thing that God wants to do is something that we have never done before. Places we haven't gone before. Places we're very unfamiliar with in our own personal lives and in our lives corporately as a church. And we need to be open and available for God to be able to speak, thus says the Lord, and let's just go do it. Let's go. Just simply move forward. Step out in faith. I have a dear pastor friend, and I will share this story with you. I'll leave out the name of the church and the pastor, but a very close friend. And he, for several years, spoke to his church board that he believed that God had told them to build a new church building. The building that they were in at that current time held about 500 people. Their sanctuary is probably two times the size of this one, something like that. And he says, God's told us to build a new building. And one guy on his board convinced everybody else that they were not going to do that. They did that for two years. And finally, my friend said, look, we have to build a new building. God's telling us to build a new building. And that board member said, over my dead body. And that is exactly what happened. Two months later, he died of a massive heart attack. That church today is well over 10,000 people. It went from 1,500 to over 10,000. Because someone dared to say, look, God said it. I don't even know how he's going to do it. And I've watched God do miracles in that ministry from that day to this. When you trust God, you're trusting the guy that created the universe. It's not like you're trusting me. And you trust me, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't blame you. Don't trust me. I don't care. I don't trust me either. But trust God. If God spoke, God said, thus says the Lord, I'm okay with just doing it. And so... I really strongly encourage you, as you look at this passage, to see this for what it is. You see, sometimes we can get so hung up in you know, how old we are or what things are going on in church or how things have always been, uh, it becomes a matter of age instead of matter, matter of faith. It's like if you do something one way long enough, it automatically becomes truth. That's not true. I can prove that to you. The Reformation. Got two sides fighting. They're still fighting. Been fighting for 500 years now, close to it. They're still fighting. It didn't get resolved. Just because it happens for a long time doesn't mean it's true. Catholic churches had the same basic understanding of how forgiveness comes about. You need to go see a priest. I'm pretty sure I've already got one of those. Just because you've been doing it for 
2,000 years, really about 1,600, doesn't mean it's necessarily true. You need to go back to the Word. What does God's Word say? What was God's opinion on the matter? God's opinion on that matter is, I have a great high priest in heaven ever interceding before the throne of God. I don't need a guy in a booth with a screen. I don't. And I'm not trying to mock. I'm just trying to say that's, that's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. You can ask for forgiveness personally. You see, sometimes we get hung up just because people have been doing it a long time. It must be right. It's not true. There are a lot of things people do for a long time that aren't right. Don't let age become a boundary to new things. And while I'm saying that, I thank God for senior saints. Because they provide that balance for that youthful zeal. Amen? I can also tell you what you don't want to do. Don't listen to a whole bunch of 20-year-olds. Not a good idea. You'll have a vibrant church, but it'll be a broke church as well. You need somebody who hears from the Lord. And so there's balance in those things. What you really want is somebody who hears the voice of God, spends time in prayer, who agonizes over the things of God, who who has a heart's desire to do what's pleasing in the sight of the Lord, who's not self-seeking, isn't vainglorious, is looking for nothing other than to make sure that whatever they're doing is honoring to God. That's a real leader. The two and a half tribes did keep their promise, by the way. And they helped conquer the land, but they still created problems for Joshua and Israel because, as we'll see when we get to chapter 22, they were unfaithful in their possession. So you can even kind of partially possess the land, so to speak. You don't want to do that either. You want to grab everything that God's got for you. And as you do that, you experience the blessings that God has for you. Notice now as we pick up and finish the rest of this chapter. And so they answered Joshua saying, and notice there isn't a bit of hesitation. Now I'm sure that Joshua earned their respect. I guarantee you Joshua wasn't some flaky dude that kind of showed up every once in a while and, you know, flippantly threw things around. He was known as a man of prayer, of conviction, of strength of the word, and strength in the Lord. So remember that what they're doing from that sense, if you're trying to please God, makes sense too. Don't don't see mindlessness here, because that's not what's being taught. All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. No hesitation. God said it. That was sufficient for this group of people. And I'll tell you that rebellion from within is perhaps the greatest difficulty for a pastor. You expect rebellion from without. I can just tell you, I expect rebellion from without. I expect when people look at our church, or me personally, or my I expect to be attacked from outside. But where you let your guard down a little bit is from within. 
from people who claim to be your friends. From people who look at your life and they really actually know what's going on, but they develop the wrong opinion anyway. And so the picture here is some of the kindred folk didn't do so well. But those that went with absolutely followed the Lord. And they say in verse 17, just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Now remember, that's not actually accurate, is it? Um, they they kind of, that's, that's a little bit of an overstatement. But now they're getting the picture. Because they hardly, matter of fact, for about 15 minutes they did what Moses said. And then after that it was kind of an ugly story. But their hearts by now have been changed. They, they've been wandering around the wilderness. I think they got the lesson. Do not make God send you to the wilderness so that you can learn this lesson. It's not a fun lesson to learn. If you are disobedient to the commands of the Lord, let me prophesy over your life, you will spend time in the wilderness. Thus says the Lord. Not Jeff. You'll spend time in the wilderness if you are disobedient to the Lord. How many have wandered around in the, and you don't have to raise your hands. How many have wandered around in the wilderness of alcohol? Or a bad relationship? Or drugs? Or money problems? Or real estate problems? Because you decided, well, you know, just, I don't actually make that money, but I'm going to tell them I do anyway because this house is such a great deal. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people who have wandered in a wilderness because they did exactly what God said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and they knew it, and they did exactly the opposite. You'll wander in the wilderness. God will take time to let you wander in the wilderness until you figure out that you don't want to be here. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to do everything you say. And wherever you send me, I will go there. Because the wilderness gets really old. For any of you that have wandered in the wilderness, say amen. Amen. Should be all of us. I think all of us have had a little bit of time in the wilderness at least. Maybe some of you got saved when you were two and you've walked with the Lord your whole life. Not me. And I don't mean to say that in a way that's prideful, but simply to say, I've walked in the wilderness. I've known the truth of the Lord and absolutely not done what he said. And I paid the price for it, and so did my family. Now, it's a long time ago, but I'm telling you, God hasn't changed. Don't make him walk you through the wilderness. Only the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. And so they're reconfirming back to him, encouraging him, saying, Look, the same truth that's true for us is true for you. As you hear the Lord, you can count on the Lord being with you too, Joshua. You remember me saying to you on occasion that whatever I teach you, i got to first teach myself. That's why. It's true for me. Whatever I'm saying is true for me. I have to listen to my own messages like three or four times. Because I research them. Then I type them out. Then I edit them. Then I study them. And if it's Sunday, then i got to preach them twice. I'm sick of me too. (laughs) 
But the truths that are true for you are true for me. God will be with me. He's my strength. He's my shield. He's my portion. He's my strong tower. He is the one in whom I can run and hide and trust. Notice how absolutely committed they get now. Verse 18, And whoever rebels against your command and does not do your words in all that you command him, we'll take him out. We'll kill him. He'll be put to death. Now to us, I ain't saying that to you. So there'll be no death. Well, I tell you something, nobody's getting killed. There'll be no, you know, like church inquisitions going on. By the way, the church tried that. didn't go so well, did it? A little tiny incident known as the Spanish Inquisition. How about the Crusades? Either commit, either convert, or we're going to kill you. It's largely believed that the Crusades were responsible for the spread of Islam. Do you know that? Because there's one thing that unites all people. That's a common enemy. And so here the Church of England says, well, you just go down there and you take Jerusalem back. And everybody gets in your way, you kill them. Didn't work out so well in the Age of Grace, did it? Remember what I said? We live in the Age of Grace. The year 1000 A.D. was the Age of Grace. It wasn't the Age of the Law. God's true to His commands. Inquisition, Spanish Inquisition, should have never happened. White Chapel hangings should have never happened. The Greenfield murder should have never happened. The forced confession of Christians in England should have never happened. Only be strong and of good courage, it says at the end of verse 18. And so as we wrap these things up, they're praying for him. They're saying, look, we, we want it to be well with your soul. And you know what? None of us succeed apart from doing things God's way in the church. None of us do. So I have to do what God tells me to do. You have to do what God tells you to do. I have to be obedient. You have to be obedient. If we want God's best, that's how it works. And when we do that, we're not going to be at odds with each other because guess how many Holy Spirits there are? One. So the Holy Spirit's not going to tell me one thing and tell you something else. Can I give you a little um, little comment? Just when you come to my office, be very careful about how you say to me, thus says the Lord. Because only one of us can be right. If you happen to disagree with me, then that means that one of us didn't hear from God. So you by default are backing one of the two of us into a corner. I have people sometimes that will come into my office and they'll go, well, you know, God told me that we're supposed to build this. I didn't hear that from God. Now, if you throw a little word in there, I think God, God might have possibly been speaking to me about this issue. That's entirely different, isn't it? 
That leaves it open for discussion. Neither one of us have to be backed into a corner about what God did or did not say. The only time you need to be really, really forceful is when you're repeating what the Word of God says. So I can tell you if you come in and, well, God told me to go rob a bank. And now you weren't hearing from God. I'm pretty sure that's one of the Ten Commandments. God told me to divorce my wife. I'm pretty sure that wasn't him. Because he hates divorce. Well, God told me it was okay to be angry. No, I'm pretty sure that to be angry is to lead to murder. I'm pretty sure that's... You see how it works? I I can just simply repeat to you what God has already said, and I'm going to be right 100% of the time. But if it's my opinion, I try and leave the door open. Because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I misread something. Maybe I didn't quite get it. And I would encourage you to be gracious with each other that way. But when God says go, go. When God says, thus says the Lord, that settles it. That is my opinion. Those debatable things, eh, we can have some discussions on those. You see, really our obedience is a matter of of life and death to us. Spiritual life and spiritual death to be certain, but it's still life and death. Because to walk in the Spirit is to not fulfill the desires of our flesh. Amen? That's how I end up in the sweet spot of what God wants for me and for us. Is by trying as best as I can, we can, to walk in the center of His will. Not towards the edges where it's debatable. Not towards the sinful things that might put us in harm's way. You see, the Jews went to some pretty sinful practices that put them in harm's way, didn't they? And they paid a price for it. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I'd be sick of man after 40 years. I'm almost positive. No matter how wonderful, I, I, you know, for all I know, I can't wait to get there. I want to taste manna. I want to know what it is they ate for 40 years. Personally, I think it was Wiener Schnitzel chili dogs, but... It's just, I don't know. Or jack-in-the-box tacos. I have no idea what they put in those things, but there's there's something in them that you just, like, eat 40 of them. It's like, they're awesome. They're, like, stupid, thin. There's nothing in them, and yet there's something. You just eat them. I think that's what manna was. I don't know. I just want to be obedient. So what did God tell them? Every day go out and collect some manna. Some people thought that wasn't a great idea, so what did they do? They went out and tried to store up enough for a couple of days, few days, a week, a month, whatever. Guess what happened? It got filled with maggots. It's a picture. We do what God tells us to do. There's no way around it. Well, your Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that way is death. That's why it says that. Because he knows and we don't. Sometimes we kind of get three quarters of the way there. Sometimes we're 90% of the way. Sometimes we're right on the edge. But he still knows more than we do. And so we do need to just simply go when he speaks. I, I myself at times question God, and I, and I will just share that with you. But we don't want to be guilty of that type of a spiritual life. 
Notice how you're encouraged in this chapter. Be strong and of good courage. We have to have spiritual strength. We're in a battle, family of God. We're in a war. That's why the book of Ephesians says what it says there in the sixth chapter. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen? Not yours. You're going to run out of might pretty quickly. So will I. But be strong in his power and his might because he is able. And through him we are more than conquerors. Amen? We're not kind of sort of wimpy, maybe sort of wannabes. We're more than conquerors through him who loves us. We can walk in that kind of victory. We can approach any river of Jordan that we have in our lives and cross over. We can get to the Red Sea and put the first foot in and know that God will take care of the rest. So what he works. If you happen to have a Methodist hymnal floating around your house, my grandmother was an organist. I know, now I know I don't, hate, I don't like organs. <laughs> Granny B, it's you. The Wesley brothers, especially Charles, responsible for a ton of hymns. And when he and his brother were being persecuted by the Church of England, uh, he wrote a hymn called The Soldiers of Christ Arise. And for about a century, it was like the battle hymn of the church. One of the stanzas says, Put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies of his eternal son. That's the way it is. That's what Joshua was saying. He wasn't saying, hey, I got it all figured out. He was saying, God said it. I believe it. Let's go. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. For your word, Lord. Thank you for your word. God, you didn't leave us here on this earth with, without an instruction manual. Lord, without a way to know what it is that you want for us. We're just so grateful, God. That you speak truth into our lives. We pray that we'd absorb it. and Lord, it would become part of us. God, it wouldn't just be something that we know, but something that we are. And so, Father God, we pray that you'd just continue to fill us up with your word, fill us with your spirit, cause us to, to dwell in the center of your will. Lord, help us to not be discouraged, but to be strong and be courageous, to get up each morning and put on our armor. And just go. Lord, that's what you want from us. You can take care of the details. Lord, as we do things your way, Lord, we know that you are the way. And so we can have you, Lord, before us and behind us and above us and to our right and left in all things. We bless you. I thank you for this evening. Lord, help us to fight bravely and courageously. Be strong in your power and in your might. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.